0: Welcome to Agile Coffee. This is episode five. We are once again recording from Paradise Perks in Irvine, California. We are at Jeffrey and Irvine Center Drive, which is right across from Irvine Valley College. Kick the music. Another beautiful day here at Paradise Perks. Today, I'm going to go ahead and uh, talk Agile with my friends. We've got Ariel Carone sitting across from me.
1: Hi, Vic. John
0: Jorgensen is here. Thank you for having me again. Absolutely. And Dave Cornelius, welcome back. Well, good morning, and thank you for having me. You know, Dave, I asset. just I just saw a video yesterday. I was doing a, a video searching for the term, I think it was scaled agile delivery, yes. I think, and, and there was a workshop that you were a part of. And filmed that. Yes, and, <laughs> nice. and then I saw my friend Dave up there presenting. I was like, yeah, he is, Dave. All right.
2: I think he was probably the strongest advocate for the group, by the way. I, I remember that first five minutes of,
0: that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was good stuff. So, so here we are. We've got Agile Coffee following the Lean Coffee principles that we typically um, talk about ad nauseum. But today we've got some topics in front of us that are also specific to Lean Coffee, which is which is great. So, as you know, with Lean Coffee, we've we've got a number of cards on the table, index cards in this case. Everyone takes as many cards as they want, and they can write topics out. We spend a little bit of time doing that, and we also take topics from the Twitterverse. So if you have something that you'd like to share with our podcast, use the hashtag TellAgileCoffee or AskAgileCoffee. Either one works, and we're looking for those so that we can go ahead and respond in kind. Today we've got a number of topics out on the board already, so let's um, everyone just kind of pick your topic. We'll introduce it for a minute or two, and then we'll go ahead and prioritize and get going. John wants to talk about X-Scale. And X-Scale looks pretty interesting. I spent a little bit of time looking at that after you sent the link out. We've got... Coans, Problem Solving, and the Goose in a Bottle. Coans, Problem Solving, the Goose in a Bottle. Next up, Brainstorming, Inceptions, Worthwhile. Question mark. Question mark, okay. Next, we have a card that says the Iroquois. Simply Iroquois. Iroquois. Correct. Okay, I almost added the oh. Iroquois Council. Next right? to that, King's Invisible Clothes. King's Invisible Clothes. It's a number of cards, so we'll go ahead and get started. Each topic we'll give five minutes to. Uh, I'm going to use this timer here on the computer, but I'll also kind of signal everyone when we're at the five-minute mark, we'll do a Roman vote that mm-hmm. says, you know, let's keep the topic going, let's stop, I don't really want to talk anymore about it, or I'm ambivalent, either one's fine with me, just a Roman thumbs-up, thumbs-down. <laughs> All right, topic number one. We have a topic called X Scale. John, you want yeah. to introduce this?
2: Sure thing. So this was sent to me by somebody who's now uh, slipped my mind, uh, a colleague or a fellow Agile practitioner. And it came up around, I'm going to say, February, no, maybe April 14th of this year, 2014. And as far as I can tell, it's an amalgam of... The scaled Agile frameworks that we're probably aware of today, like LESS, DAD, SAFE, and the Spotify framework advocated by Henrik Nyberg. The interesting part of it is that as you drill down um, on their, their main treaties, you'll find references to a lot of probably obscure metaphors, which are also very compelling. The metaphor that interested me uh, at first blush was The Seven Samurai. Uh, it's a Kurosawa film, also uh, recreated by Hollywood in as the magnificent seven and kind of a, a cowboy metaphor. But this idea of taking a village and saving it by transforming it, and to an agile transformation coach that has particular significance – because the coach can't always be there. And
0: right, and that's, I think, the message of the film in the last scenes. Maybe the last words of the film are something like, the villagers take ownership of it, and yep. and they didn't need the samurai. Well, they needed the samurai for the transformation, but they realized mm-hmm. they don't need the samurai now because they've learned. You know, you Exactly. Teach a man to fish type of metaphor. Yeah,
2: right? you can walk away and go help another village. Right. So... The you know, as I was reading through the different aspects that they borrow from different methodologies it it wasn 't that something resonated per se with with any of that, and i can 't recite it you know um, point by point right now, but it seemed like it was an objective look, something that I would expect. Um, for example, an Al Shalloway to probably, you know, concoct as he seems to be a very free-flowing Agile coach. And then the other thing was that it, it led to many other discoveries. Um, for example, you know, on another card in our Agile coffee, there's this goose goose in a bottle metaphor, which is a koan, and which I believe I had of a solve for, which I'll present in that time box, but it it made me start thinking about questioning the assumptions that I hold for transformation at large. And I'm hoping that this new flavor of scaled agile is a sort of catalyst of thought for other people. You know, if if we can kind of leave the dogma aside and start looking at the challenge with new eyes, I think that we're going to find new and effective answers or we're going to reach back even farther than we ever have before for old answers that have been probably long forgotten. And I think that's something that the authors of this X scale website have done. I mean, they're going back to really um, pre-colonial year um, native American governance uh, practices, which is where the Iroquois comes from. Uh, I'm probably even saying that wrong. Iroquois, something like that. So, It was kind of, in my experience, at first exposure, just sort of uh, uh, an explosion of of new thought uh, that seemed to me to come out of nowhere, but it's kind of refreshing and reassuring because if this keeps happening at the pace that it is, you can bet that over the next couple of years we're going to be exposed to some really great thoughts coming from a huge diversity of minds and to me that's exciting.
3: <clears throat> Those are great points John um, I was just wondering and in terms that I know very little about Xscale except that um, it was one of the, the architectures introduced by Intel for some of their processes uh, processors uh, of using um, reduced instruction sets is, is that correlation of, of having doing more with less mm. it's kind of a, of a concept so you know so, so the inquiry was around xscale uh, as an architecture that, that comes out of intel's and their, their the set of processes um that the processors that they um have introduced for 32 and 64 bit it's all based on um the reducing instruction sets risk um concept but i would just like to see how did you tie that back in um to, to getting the right information to people and allowing them to you know take the right actions to get things done.
2: Yeah, so I think that there's two parallels to this this problem or paradigm. One is the technological parallel and the other is the interpersonal parallel on the technological scale i 'm um, not really that in depth, but in my mind, the way that I visualize this is, for example, you know we use angular pages at a, a certain um, development shop I belong to, and from the little that I know about this is that you share some of the processing on the client' side um, that used to be completely you know located on the server side and so when you have a large concurrent user base having the ability to distribute some of that processing load across the you know the clients allows you to scale and get a better user experience because there's more responsiveness and i think that the parallels to that with you know human interaction is that by giving people fewer instructions and Showing some sort of token or symbolic uh, belief in their abilities, whether they have that ability or not, the likelihood that they will grow the ability to self-govern is much higher. And uh, a good case in point for this would be, for example, I have a son right now who is doing an Eagle Scout project, and you'll notice I'm not present. And I find that by withdrawing my directive... Uh, presence from the system that he grows and that if he has questions of course he'll ask me and then I'll give him my answers of how I would handle it without expecting him to do it my way just to have him listen weigh it and if he likes it or if he wants to experiment with my way he can try it but I never follow up with him to say hey how did you do it and so being a reference point without being sort of a, 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 a backdoor governance or, you know, background um, sort of surveillance uh, presence is how I think people mature and grow their skill set and build the confidence in their problem-solving capabilities. And so I think when yeah, we look a, at… It's l- a
0: lean principle, like failing often and yes, from your failures. So you're allowing them that privilege you know that opportunity to fail and learn
2: exactly and I think that this is something that all coaches probably um, want to bring into a large scaled system whether it's software developers
0: or otherwise I think that this topic X scale can be talked about um, multiple times so I'd like to return to it Uh, in fact um, one thing that I was hoping to um, uh, to talk about and I'd like to talk about another time actually Mm -hmm. is the idea of turning all the knobs up (laughs) to 10 Um, you know the when I was looking at it they had the, the drawing of the big picture, the Leffingwell and um uh Peter um the guys that came up with, with scaled agile framework, their big mm-hmm. picture Peter Leffingwell. Pete Barons. Yeah. Pete Barons thing. Yep. Um uh you know and, and I like seeing things visualized. I like um you know as I said earlier I'm, I'm kind of a visual learner and I think that they did some interesting things in their presentation. You know, mm-hmm. you talked about the seven samurai, they provided a clip to the movie uh, mm-hmm. or a trailer to the movie um, they have, uh, you know, the Iroquois. We're going to talk about in another um, uh, on another topic, and then as well um, on this one uh, blog post, we're looking at at Agile Next Generation. They talk about the um, uh, the concept of muri, Muda and, and Muda, um, and and they graph that out too, which is really interesting. So, so do
3: you see like the um, X scale as a reuse of things that have gone by? Because there's this one um, author called Gary Hamel. Mm -hmm. And he wrote this book called um, Management Mm 1.0 of looking at just we haven't matured Mm -hmm. to the point where we have created Management 2.0 because we're still using all of the things of old Mm -hmm. to do things differently. So. Do you see this as, as more of a regurgitation of what has been done before, or we see this as brand-new innovation I, that's changing uh, oh, the no, paradigm? No.
2: no, I think that they present it as a, a cherry-picking or remixing, really. They they start off with the tip of the hat to all these you know pre-existing um, scaled frameworks. And I do think that they mix in some some elements that they borrow like from way, way back, like Iroquois. And maybe there is... I haven't you know, exhaustively studied it, but maybe there is some original content of their own. But it's certainly a revisiting of a lot of existed and uh, empirically proven effective methods.
3: That would be interesting to see how do we get to um, what we call leadership 2.0, where mm-hmm. we're moving people in a, in a, diff- in, in a different direction. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that is yet, but it would be interesting to see... Yeah a new paradigm emerge out of all of this
0: yeah i think that we're watching it emerge what yeah. it evolves to it's so hard being a uh, producer and a yeah. participant at the same time i'll
2: bring my son to mix sometime i think
0: <laughs> i think that we are um watching it emerge though we're mm-hmm. we we do not know what it's going to evolve to and if it's even like one org- organism that it's going to evolve into or multiple right um And so we've, in our own very, very small part, are playing a role in that evolution, which is exciting. Well,
2: there is this book, Management 3.0, in the Agile community, and maybe he jumped from 1.0 to 3.0 on purpose, but um, the author's name escapes me at the moment, but uh, very popular. And if I understand correctly, it does have a lot to do with influencing rather than using overt authority, command, and control and that's, I think, trickier than using command and control. And um, it's going to require a global culture shift, I think.
0: All right. So we've extended the topic of X scale beyond our five minutes with an additional, I think, six or seven minutes. So that one went on. And obviously there's a lot more to talk about there. But we want to know what you have to say. So use the hashtag TellAgileCoffee and let us know. Be part of the conversation. The next card up is Kill Agile. Dave, you want to bring us into that conversation? What's this? Kill Agile? Question mark.
3: Oh, it's a topic that I, uh, I, I found on LinkedIn, one of the LinkedIn group um, called uh, Agile Coaching. And a lot of, a lot of the, the participants or practitioners of, of Agile have, have thought about, why not just stop and start over? Um, it's overused. Um, people are abusing Agile. Right. Right? It's kind of like um, back in the day, you, you, everything was extreme. You know, oh, yeah. extreme sports, mm-hmm. extreme, everything became extreme. So uh, you would think Agile had some success. So everyone has picked up on that. So mm-hmm. it, if we would like to change a paradigm and do something new. You know, yeah. it's really we're not even uh, new. Just call it call something, something else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right.
2: Cause that's, that's the problem that we're in is like people want to be called agile. They just don't want to do it. Yeah. And so that's fine. I, we can't stop them from calling themselves agile and we certainly can't make them do it. Right. But in order to just, you know, keep one plus one equaling two, we eventually have to find something new to call what we used to call agile so that we can differentiate from actually doing it rather than
3: just being called it. Well, so, so define it so for, right. for most, because a lot of time people said, well, Agile mm-hmm. is X. So yeah. wh- how would you define Agile?
2: Yeah, so uh, you will see on the Agile Coffee website that I've posted, I think it's nine points of minimally viable Agile in my mind. And um, I doubt I can enumerate all of them, but the the main ones that come to mind right now are that it's got to be iterative and it's got to have continuous improvement and that it's got to have some element of self-governance and fail fast. And I think that that was the first to go. Cross-functional teams are another assumption and the rest, I would say having a single point of responsibility is another uh, element. And with without those... I think it's it's scrum butt, but it might be more like scrum fraud or agile fraud. And there are no agile police or agile jails. So what we have to do is find a new moniker is is what I'm thinking. When when let's say a significant minority or majority of the folks calling themselves Agile do not do these things. In my mind, I need a new moniker.
3: And you con us?
2: Yeah. That's right. That's that
0: <laughs> yeah. um, so I posted similar. Uh, I posted your question rather similarly on on LinkedIn in two places. One was in the uh, the Agile SoCal um, to the group there, and, and Paul Hodgetts replied. I'm just going to kind of read something that that he said. And I asked specifically, is there a minimum viable set of of Agile? And and he says that you know, regardless of the specific methods or practices, he would think that a our efforts have this focus on customer value mm-hmm. and specifically finding minimal viable product increments yeah. that can deliver uh, value in short delivery cycles. And that's just one of them. And it hits on mm-hmm. what you had said about incrementalism and we talked about uh, before too. So, so we've got that idea as a fundamental, but does it always have to exist? You know, is that the question where each time we have a fundamental, can we say, okay, for this, if we don't do that, are we not
2: agile? Right. I mean, it's an interesting question. Is there such a thing as the death of agile by a million paper cuts? Mm-hmm. I would say yes. And
0: I think it, Chinese goes uh, a thousand cuts. A thousand I mean, cuts. They yeah. <laughs> a million. A <laughs> yeah. enough. Huh? I'm going
2: extreme. Extreme <laughs> yeah. on my incrementalism. Um, but no. I mean, I, I really. It's it's going to be a, a different answer uh, depending on who you're talking to and it's just my personal gut feeling you know where i draw my line in the sand is if one of those nine or ten pieces is missing i just internally think yeah i'm kind of lying to myself this is um going into denial here if we don't have these parts it doesn't resemble the agile that i was trained in and have experienced and always read about having these remarkable results and when I say remarkable results, I mean, I'm really referring to this, uh, what was it, Sentinel with the FBI that uh, Jeff Sutherland and um, and Ken Schwaber uh, list as one of their most compelling reasons for doing Scrum is, I mean, it was giving kind of a tenfold in terms of quality and quantity of working code being released.
3: But could we, in, in, in some ways, be... Uh Trying to achieve nirvana with, with Agile mm. and, and looking at things as, you know, here's the, the, the perfect idealism. Yeah, and, and that's, that's one true. of the things that um, sometimes I worry about with, with Agility is that people come in and it has to be this way, the Agile police. And, and I, I think some of those principles are, are very important. And, but, That's
2: true. And I think there's a, like a, a paradox in, like, you know, was it Nietzsche that said, you know, beware he who hunts monsters because, you know, as you stare into the abyss, there's eyes staring back at you and it's yourself. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I mean, to be overly black and white in how I define uh, what is agile and what is not. Um, it can be dangerous from just the standpoint of trying to help a team or a group of teams transition from not agile into agile. Because, quite frankly, I think that it is an incremental transformation. So, wanting to encourage that and nurture it rather than just kill it off and you know burn it at the stake would be a, probably a, a better thing for the world in general.
0: Do we want to continue? Move on. Hmm. Okay, sounds like we we can move on. We've got quite a few cards here, Trey. So, uh we reached that 5-minute limit. Let's go ahead and talk about uh the next card is it pronounced "koans"? Koans, koans yeah. Koans, and it's a Japanese word. It is a is Japanese
2: right? word. Um the ko is from kangaeru, which means to think, and the on is from anjiru, which means to guide or to think, consider. So it's a thinking think, a guided thinking exercise, I guess you could say. And I don't really know how or whom uh, kind of seized on this thought puzzle uh, as a programming um, metaphor. But uh, it, it, it seems to be handy in embracing the unknown and living with it, staying in the problem space long enough to come up with something innovative. And the context in which I found this, again, was uh, I was on this X-Scale site and drilling into just various references that they were making, and there was this goose-in-a-bottle reference. It was a puzzle, of course. And the question side of the koan...
0: I saw it as a bad Photoshop, but go on.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was really bad. Yeah, the question in the Photoshop... or I'm sorry, the question in the koan is... Um, when you take a, a goose and when it's still, is it a gosling? When it's a young goose, you uh, insert it into a large bottle and it feed it and it grows. How do you extricate it from the bottle without breaking the bottle itself, which could be a difficult puzzle? Now, I think the importance of koans... Is that they're actually a device to think. And going to um, some advice that was given in a book in the 1950s, I'm going to try to cite the source, George Polia's How to Solve It. He mentions basically four approaches to solving difficult problems. The first one is drawing a picture, and by extension, I would say a map, an icon, a metaphor a model, a pattern, a stereotype, or a koan is a way that we can simplify it to to solve it. He also Mm -hmm. mentions trying to pretend that you've already solved the solution and then thinking backwards. Also, if the problem's abstract, try making a concrete example or using a story. User stories are Mm -hmm. a good case in point. And then trying to solve a more general problem first, which is the inventor's paradox. And then having your problem be solved as a subcase of that larger problem.
0: So, so let's post those in the show notes here. So go to the website agilecoffee.com slash episode 5, and we'll uh, put those four bullet points up there.
2: Right. So what is the goose in the bottle a metaphor for it? Uh, it's actually a metaphor for transformation of Agile teams, in my humble opinion, and I think that that's the case that they were proposing it to. So you might ask yourself, if the goose is this, team or group of teams that is inside of an organization or captured or imprisoned with old mindsets and development frameworks? How do you extricate it without basically blowing up the business? you're, You're in the air. You're in flight. Operations cannot stop or be interrupted or jeopardized for that matter. How are you going to transform the team? And here's how my solution goes You take uh, what's known as a kinchaku Bukuro. It's a bag that has a sort of pursing um, mouth with drawstrings and You 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 take well you take that and you need one other thing first You determine the gender of the goose that you have in your bottle interesting. Yes, then you get another gosling of the opposite gender and insert that into the bottle then you take your your purse uh, or your bag with purse string mouth and you insert it into the bottle when the female goose has conceived a fertilized egg, you slide the egg using either chop long chopsticks or tongs into the bag, pull out the drawstring through the through the the mouth of the bottle and now you have extracted a goose from the bottle (laughs) and that's literally the scenario that they were citing there is that you don't you don't come in and disrupt the frameworks that bind together the organization Mm. you draw out individuals into a new constraint in Mm -hmm. my case it's the bag that will pass through and the egg itself uh, is contained in a diameter that's smaller than the mouth of the bottle. Mm And it's as you continue to jettison groups of functioning agile practitioners that either, you know, you leave the existing organization uh, so depleted that it no longer serves its own, you know, usefulness, or that it's enough to keep maybe the old business running, but then the new businesses, the new products are being developed by the eggs that have already been freed from the bottle. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>
0: no. No. Nothing.
2: So, it's, is it is it cheating on the is it cheating on the constraints of the of the puzzle? Perhaps they they probably intended to say you have to extract I, the living yeah, goose. Yeah. They probably wanted the you original think, goose. Yeah.
0: But they uh, also but, wanted you to think of crazy. You and, know, what would you do? Maybe there is no answer that they can think of.
2: And, and honestly, time. that's where I would probably extrapolate on um, on George Pol- uh, Polia's um, strategies. Is that you always when you've got a problem want to test for false constraints, and I would say that the false constraint is they didn't say explicitly, how do you get the original goose out of the bottle? They said, how do you get a goose from the bottle? You uh-huh. get a goose from the bottle by taking out fertilized eggs that still fit through the mouth. Do
0: you have a, a law background, a background? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> It's very complex. Yeah, it's, it's a,
3: it's, it's a con- complex Paradigm yes. that has been proposed, um, but I believe in Occam's Razor. I like mm-hmm. simplicity. Simplicity is great. I, I think sometimes when we make things so complicated, and people have to be stretched to the limits, we get lost in it because we're really just simple organisms. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as a, as a problem sor- solving technique, we could look at things like um, the Merlin factor, mm-hmm. right? And so envisioning the future Mm -hmm. and all of the problems that could potentially happen. And what if I solve all those problems in advance and I come back to the past? Um, Can I walk myself through the same process and be successful in in that? And and to me, Mm -hmm. Cohen as a parable Mm -hmm. um, It's a simplification. It's a a simplification of, of really looking at things in the context of the Merlin factor. Mm-hmm. I think th- that's something that we should look at for problem solving. Yeah, and have a plan. Um, you know, have different time boxes of when you're going to evaluate um, growth. Have you achieved that? Those goals that you've set forth. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, those are, are key steps for problem solving. It's really inspecting and adapting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting uh, as I teaching the high school students Scrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I use the simple concept of plan, do, inspect, adapt. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, where did I get that from? I got it from Short, right? Those mm-hmm. guys who came up with the, the core lean principles.
0: It's yep. simple, very much to the point.
2: Probably fifty or six more than that. Maybe seventy-five years ago. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. That reminds me, Dave. We should make another uh, card at some point. Uh, bring you back to talk about your experience teaching uh, the high school age. I'd love kids to hear that Scrum because uh, you know I, I had. Uh, been in a workplace with one of the founders who was also using those types of principles with his his own kids, um, having them start their own business and and only referring to him not as dad but as his name, and then um, he would he would have them run a daily stand-up and use scrum principles, and, and you've worked with kids of the same age, and John, you've mm-hmm. already alluded to your high school-aged boy who's uh, mm-hmm. taking his Eagle Scout, Scout project. project going yep. on right now, so I think that we could mine that for, um, for another topic at yeah. some other time. But, as Ariel points out, that is really a perfect segue to our next card. Uh, let's move on to, to this one. It says, Brainstorming. Inceptions. Worthwhile?
1: yeah well, these are sort of two different things. one in general, everybody probably has something to say about brainstorms they've been in um what they saw work and what what they didn't, and being asked to facilitate those. what's a good way to get people's creative juices going and get them outside their everyday type of thinking, but then the larger question, and there's actually there's studies on this, but, but I think of it in the context of each organization I've been in. Is it worthwhile? Does anything ever happen as a result? I mean, if you really think back to even the coolest ideas you heard at the brainstorms you ran or attended, did those things actually happen?
2: I, I think that they do, but they're not necessarily all there in the room. In other words, when there's two sleeps between the brainstorming sessions. I think that wonderful things emerge from our subconscious, and the purpose of the two sleeps is that you allow your your brain both time, and then you allow your biology to move into whatever state of relaxation that it's going to take to get the biochemicals running through your brain that are going to make you know these. Well, I guess it's a. Uh, electrical magnetic uh, you know connections, thoughts really piecing together in ways that you've never done before. and so i I have seen brilliant people in the moment, and i'm I'm talking about maybe five or ten minutes come up with something that that never would have happened before, and it's having a diversity of of backgrounds and personal contexts all interacting there, and then it's also having people with different temperaments um, all kind of get into the same uh, rhythm of thinking and the environment being completely safe uh, to speak without any kind of uh, worry or concern that you'll be penalized or labeled or stigmatized for saying something absurd and you know who I think is really the master of this topic is Dr. Edward de Bono um, you know, his five, is it five thinking hats? Or seven? Some number of different colored thinking caps. Yeah, the white,
0: black, red, right? yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, the seven hats. I think
1: seven it's hats, same, yeah. yeah.
2: It's, it's really quite ingenious, and to me it's significant that it, he's talking about wearing clothing. And there's a link, I, I think, between our state of mind and what we're physically doing or wearing. Yeah, well,
3: well, well, one thing about brainstorming um, There's a method that that I use consistently. It's called the KJ method. It's called Kiwatiki Jira. Mm -hmm. And the the KJ method is, is simply nothing more than a bunch of people in the room. We have a problem to solve. Or we have an idea that we want to expand upon. And it's simple. Everyone sits down, and we time box for five minutes. And you write on your little sticky, you know, what do you think about this problem? What do you think is, how do we solve it? And so everyone put it up on the board. Then everyone gets up, walks to the board, look at it. We do affinity, group them together, say let's spend some more time, another five to seven minutes, um, looking at what we came up with. Can we expand upon that? Have we reached our our maximum at that point in time? Mm -hmm. And then you do another five minutes on that. And then uh, the facilitator helps to walk them through the process of, how do we get to get through this brainstorming with a solution at the end, or at least with mm-hmm. a direction at the end? Mm-hmm. And I, I've used that method, and that has been really helpful in terms of bringing the diverse team of individuals together in a room trying to solve a problem. And so it, it kind of gets you back to the simple concept of the retrospective, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Right? And, and so the retrospective, to me, is, is one of those continual improvement um, methods that we can use, in the same context of the KJ method, mm-hmm. to really get you from ideation to something that's tangible, or at least to a place that you can go forward with. So I, I, I see that you know we need techniques and methods to guide, guide us as we're, we're trying to do brainstorming, and I, I see K, the KJ method as, as one of those which is really essential to, to helping teams. And it, it's amazing, it, it's, every time I've tried it with different teams, Eric like, oh, well, we, we never thought about this. Where did this come from? Mm-hmm. Well, this has been around for a while. Mm-hmm. Right? And we used to use this back in the day when we were doing product development. This is where this concept comes from, of ideation. And you gets to do the same thing for problem solving because problem solving is ideation.
2: That's very true. And it's, it's ironic. I haven't really made the connection until you just said so now. But you said uh, two things. Um, You mentioned standing and walking, walking somebody through as a facilitator, you know, this ideation um, process. The other thing is you mentioned in retrospectives are, in fact, brainstorming. And so I I think, you know, the the way that I've been trained both in retrospectives and facilitation is that you do want to get people physically moving around. Mm -hmm. And just yesterday, you know, when I was doing a retrospective with my team and we were running out of time very, very quickly, we had about two or three minutes left. And the problem question or the problem stated is, what is the immediately actionable item that we can do to overcome whatever uh, is lacking in our process? And by getting people to rise up out of their seats and physically walk over to the board is, I think, where all of a sudden um, concrete ideas start hitting paper or, or whiteboard. And it's It's not that um I was even aware of the k j method it It sounds really interesting to me, but the the fundamentals that I go to are like keep people moving, introduce change, get them focused on convergence on a single thing is is how we get outputs that may succeed or fail and disarming that that cost of failure by saying you know what we're going to fail fast it's pre, it's already presupposed that this first attempt is going to be a failure but we have to we have to fail first before we'll succeed
0: i want to get ariel's feedback
1: on that it was your, your topic i don't know we took it in a lot of different ways <laughs> sure um, I was fortunate enough to get some training, uh, rather than naming the employer, I'll just say it's a very magical, (laughs) magical place in Southern California. Kind of enchanted. Uh, Yes. That uh, had some fantastic training, um, and my, my takeaways from that besides... Um, my memories of running the sessions include like a, a deck of cards with the, mm-hmm. the specific techniques and having run a bunch of these sessions, a lot of the practices that both of you were talking about, time boxing, having to come away with something concrete, um, having teams present to all other teams after their four or five minutes, mm-hmm. scripting the entire thing out, having quest- specific questions or challenges. I could go way longer than you know, our time would allow, but I thought maybe I would share you know, one or two of the of the yeah. techniques that I think yeah. people could use. Um, one of them relates to when we're talking about koans, you question the constraints. Mm-hmm. So one of my favorites... Sure. One of my favorites is uh, about breaking the rules. Mm. So the way they teach this is, of course, in hindsight. So... Poor Blockbuster, what were the rules of, ah. of video rental? Mm-hmm. And we're all old enough here to visited blockbuster and of course you see where this is going netflix but you you list them out that's the that's the easy way to do it so let's see you had to return the video to a physical store usually the one you you picked it up at Mm -hmm. there were late fees you you Mm -hmm. could only have it out for how a certain amount of time or you paid you paid more for new releases than for for old ones and you had a, a membership and and all kinds of stuff so which of those could be challenged, and then which were really the key? So the the way that I've done this technique is to basically have the facilitator go up to um, really large, you know, sticky notes or a whiteboard, and uh, you, you have a small group, you know, five to ten max, and you ask them to articulate what are the rules, and you write them down. And then in the the second of these three columns that I would suggest, you say, you you ask them, well, what if, mm-hmm. what if there were no late fees? What if you didn't have to return the video? And then uh, the third, imagine if, or, or which, what would that mean? How would that look in reality? Mm-hmm. So, like obviously, right, Netflix makes sense, but there's a ton of when we talk about disruption, everything's disruptive. I think that fits into this framework, and it's a way to get people to, you know, it sort of uh, aligns with, I like to ask sometimes, why won't this work at the beginning of a brainstorm? What, do you, what are your fears coming out of this brainstorm? Why won't, it, why won't we succeed? So if you have a lot of skeptics in the room.
2: This, well, even if you don't, if you're not getting the output that you need, this is brilliant. I've seen so many times uh, in my working life, where somebody had a great idea, and I had access to all the information that they did. And it was because somewhere along the line they challenged a constraint and found that it was a false constraint. And I think, like, how did I, how did I miss that? Why, why wasn't I challenging constraints? And probably because it wasn't a habit of mine. And
3: this institutionalizes it in a, in a way. And it's just quickly—it it gets into having a hypothesis, mm-hmm. right? To begin there, to say mm-hmm. what is the null hypothesis, which is status quo, and what's the alternative. And most people do not think in those con- in those terms.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, well, do we do we have time? Do we want to talk about another? I wrote down a few that. Just, I... Just, can, just one, one, one sure, comment yeah.
3: about this,
2: though, is it's it's great because. When, when, you've, when you've done it once with a group, so let's say that there's some complainers. There might, might not be, but let's say that humans sometimes complain. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I don't know who right, you hang out with. No, huh? no, I, just in my imagination. Jeez, people are terrible. <laughs> so <laughs> so when, when we develop a habit of complaint over solving or challenging constraints, then we really do start to believe that there is no hope or that there's one person who's making this happen to us on purpose and we need to like you know harm or get rid of that person I believe that this would be an excellent anecdote to that problem and breaking out of that that behavior pattern or habit and forming
0: a new one so let's talk about another one, but mm-hmm. you say there's, there's others. So give us I, an overview of what the process looks like, if you don't mind.
1: Oh, sure. Well, there's like about 30 techniques, and I told uh, – where, where did these come from, by the way? Like who, who who's the
2: father or mother of these ideas?
1: Oh, sure. Uh, so there's a company called Creative Inc., and there's actually a book out now. Um, I can't remember the executive's name from uh, Pixar. Mm-hmm. That talks about some of these techniques working with a company, working with Creative Inc. So, uh, Disney worked with this company to create an internal set of tools that were adoptions uh, called Toy Box mm-hmm. and in its own internal department called Creative Inc. that's on both coasts. And they provide uh, training internally t- because, you know, believe it or not, even in magical places, people have their routines and don't, don't think creatively. Mm-hmm. They need joggers.
2: So all these techniques uh, that you know about are actually expounded on the book Creative Inc.?
1: Yeah, I mean I know about some others. <laughs> no, I love but, that. Yeah, yeah, the, that's great. yeah, so so I mean, um, yeah, I'm very fortunate to have been able to participate. in it was a two or three day training, and mm-hmm. it was kind of a train the trainer model. So mm-hmm. people ranging from you know working in hospitality, so mm-hmm. it, maybe food services or whatever mm-hmm. to. Uh, finance or whatever would all attend, a total cross-section of the company.
2: Do you think you could run a training on these different um, techniques to, like, an Agile community? See, and
0: that's explicitly what I wanted to ask you. <laughs> sort of I or tell you, you know, if you've got these techniques and that knowledge, you know, that makes so much opportunity for you to get out there and, and I I would that. pay for that.
1: Yeah. I, I, I know, I was uh, <laughs> there are some individuals I used to work with that are still there doing the this explicitly and i do mm-hmm. you know they it's provided as a service at no cost to other wow, uh, nice. business units but i think um oh, but it, inside it, the they, yeah. yes but but they do charge disney institute they do charge to do it externally so mm-hmm. i think i i would want to check on um intellectual property before sure. i taught on okay. those but individual techniques mm-hmm. those are those are practiced elsewhere i don't have any mm-hmm. problem sharing one or, or two more Techniques.
3: You know, you know I, I spent a day up at um, the Stanford uh, School of Design, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, which was actually created by IDEO. ID. Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: Oh, yeah. I know okay. mm-hmm.
3: And a lot of these things, I, I've seen them also taught there. Yes. A nice. like the whole day talking about innovation and doing different creative ideas, and I, I, I thought like, wow, this is great that that mm-hmm. um, Disney is bringing that in house. I mean, this is something that you know product owners and other teams could really really get a great benefit from
2: yeah and i mean when you when you talk about so the costs and value of attractions you know physical attractions um i i happen to know an individual uh, at a very high level um in in japan uh related to the attractions and engineers that actually installed a lot of them And what I learned was that they pay royalties to the innovators of this, you know, uh, content, and that that's, you know, amortized, of course, uh, or, you know, goes through a royalty, but, like, there are huge costs um, because of all that time of brainstorming and then fleshing out ideas, testing, and then revising, you know, the, the whole iterative pattern. But, you know, this isn't just uh, you know, a, a Disney or Buena Vista or Pixar thing. This is in the modern age of uh, electronics, software, and um, chemical, you know, physical, mechanical innovation. This is the part and parcel of value creation that happens in our economy. And so the more that we can harness uh, the creative mind um, and the scientific mind... The more value we're going to be bringing to the market, at I scale.
0: I totally agree. I mean, one thing that I've gotten from from X Scale too is just that frameworks, the collection of frameworks, the patterns that are available through frameworks, is what we as agile coaches um, bring to any any given environment when we are called upon. We we can pull pull upon these frameworks wherever they are, and, and they should be free. They should be free. Ideas should be free. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, and um, one of the thought was like, so if if these, these practices or frameworks and models, whatever you want to call them, are already uh, public knowledge through this specific publication, then it seems that individuals should be free to discuss them. And if there should be learning that happens as a positive externality, then certainly that shouldn't be taxed or, um, you know, you know. Uh, warrant some sort of licensing, <laughs> in my personal opinion. <laughs> it's got to be taxed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess so.
1: Um, I can... I, I know we don't have much time left. I can probably quickly explain please, the... Please. Uh, Let's
0: Roman vote and extend it.
1: Yeah. yeah or else? Y- yeah. you can splice here and it will be another plan yeah. box. Either way. <laughs> cool. Okay. Um, well, one other that I I, I have a lot of Examples of is is called greenhousing, so this is when you pose a question like you're talking about or hypothesis, um, and uh, an example that I happen to have pre- been present for was um, an anniversary for one of the parks, but this could also be done um, for uh, projects or uh, just basically anything. You break people into unexpected groups so it's not by random you put people together that you think will click or just have never met each other and they answer this question with an idea at the end of their four or five minutes it needs to be polished it needs to be presented as with some kind of catchy title so imagine if you draw a t on a piece of paper you give everybody pads and, and, and sharpies On the left, they explain their idea. Ideally, it should be one or two sentences. Some people do bullets. And on the right, some kind of diagram or illustration. The purpose of of putting it together in this kind of easy to understand way is that at the end um, of the time box, each group presents their ideas to the larger group. Uh, They go up on the wall. And then um, the team's uh, it's called using the passionometer so that the team's passion is measured, and I know that's another topic we can discuss later um, you know how to
2: it is interesting
1: yeah yeah and yeah. and it's it, that's you know with with the is it worth it if you don't get any that that are you know, get the most heart little heart votes for how excited people are about it, then none of them are mm. are, are good that
0: that brings it back to uh, gamification, too. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's true. Incorporating yeah. elements there. But, yeah, this is great. Keep going. Green housing?
1: Okay, sure. Uh, green, Yeah, green housing. Um, actually, I wanted to, with just the little time we have left, I thought maybe I'd mention the last, Jesse's Lasso, because it's, oh, okay. yeah, that's really been useful for me. So, one challenge, I've been both a product owner and a scrum master, project manager, and one challenge I I had, and I think everyone has as a product owner or stakeholder that's providing the user stories or requirements as scope, the scope, (laughs) and you can you you can start with your your intentions are are good and it's it's elegant and it's clean, but then once you start writing the stories and breaking them down, it's what a mess. So as a mediator or, or perfect for a, a scrum master you physically put um, a rope or, or a tape or a string on the ground kind of kind of big you could fit a couple people in it and the user stories go on cards and you force the person the product owner or whoever it is is it is it minimum viable product so is it absolutely necessary to launch the product go, goes in the lasso mm-hmm. is it really nice competitive you know your boss will love it doesn't mean we're not going to do it, but goes outside mm. so then once they're done sorting everything, you cinch the lasso again oh, nice. <laughs> and you force them those ones that just got cut off to resort it mm-hmm. and you have the team there to sort of they start sort of nodding, feeling better mm-hmm. about it and that that's I've seen this done to really help reduce the scope of what you need for MVP so that's another one I thought I'd share so how does
3: the customer Come into that because as these new ideas are being introduced by the the product owner, is that how do we validate and and verify that a lot of these ideas are really driven by the customer versus some guy, you know, with a goose in a bottle kind of an
2: idea? That's a great question. (laughs) What what if you could integrate um, a lean canvas approach, uh, some sort of an empirical model? to validate that the lasso is tight enough and not too tight and the stuff that falls outside the lasso maybe at some distant future iteration goes through another lean canvas or lean startup cycle
1: well if you have a crappy is that okay to say on the podcast (laughs) if if you have a a crappy product owner I think of that job is being the voice of the customer, and then it goes through the internal politics funnel. Mm-hmm, of everybody right. has their own angle on it. But truly, it's supposed to represent the voice of the customer. And so the hard part is prioritizing. And yeah. one, one
2: interesting thing that you mentioned was, you know, what before the lasso is introduced, there's this sort of, um, what we call this, like cognitive anxiety going on which sam kaner calls the groan zone in yes his book. and and so it's like timing where as a facilitator you you really are kind of directing an orchestra here and knowing the timing to say okay we've reached like our peak we've reached the crescendo of this groaning now is the time nice to pull in the lasso yeah
3: that's cool
0: All right, so we had a really good time here today at Paradise Perks at the corner of Jeffrey and Irvine Center in Irvine, California. So thanks for uh, participating with us today. As always, anytime you can reach out to us using the hashtags TellAgileCoffee or AskAgileCoffee and visit our website at agilecoffee.com for the show notes on this and other episodes. Wanted to just say goodbye and thanks to our guests today. Today we had Ariel Caron here. So thank you, Ariel. You can be reached thanks, out. Thanks, Ariel. It's amazing. He can thanks, be Ariel. Uh, Ariel can be reached uh, on Twitter at Ariel Corone, all one word. It's spelled as it is in the show notes. You can find <laughs> it there. <laughs> Get people to visit the website, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, John, thanks for participating again. It was a pleasure again. Thank Waters you. Water Scrum Bon is your Twitter That's handle. That's correct. Yes. And Dave Cornelius, Dave. It's always a pleasure to have you back. Thank you, Doctor Dave. Now, Doctor. Oh. yeah yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. At Dave dash dot com. So come back and join the conversation again at Agile Coffee.